Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. I had a wonderful conversation with Lair Torrent today. He is a 
clinically trained and licensed marriage and family therapist and a mindfulness-based relationship therapist. And he just came out with a book titled The Practice of Love, Break Old Patterns, Rebuild Trust, and Create a Connection that Lasts. And today, Lair and I talk about daily practices that we can do to improve our relationship. I really enjoyed this conversation. Lots of super actionable tips, which I always love, that you can take and start implementing today. As always, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We wouldn't be able to do this without listeners like you. So thank you so much. Enjoy today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Do you guys want to create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days? Yes. Sign me up. (laughs) Then you guys need to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. It is an online course, like I mentioned, that we created with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you guys the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. We talk about it on the show. Relationships take work. Sometimes they function pretty easily and you coast along. But we've found the reality is, is you have to do work sometimes and to make them better, to change them so that they're more satisfying for both partners. And you've made it here. You've made it to listening to our show. So you guys probably already know that a little bit, but what you might not know are the specific tools and exercises that you need to create those lasting and positive improvements in your relationship. And like Chase said, change does not happen on its own. It takes hard work. And that's why we created the course. Spark One Relationship is designed to infuse your life and relationship with fresh passion, skills, and wisdom. And it's a self-paced journey that's perfect for turning up the heat, having some fun together, and revolutionizing your intimacy and communication. And just some tools and strategies that the course includes is to how to eliminate unhelpful old habits, develop mindful awareness to help improve your stress management, learn healthy and successful communication tools, create a deeper and more intimate bond, and strengthen your couple microculture, which you will find out what that is. Uh, in the future together. So for our listeners only, we're offering a special of $100 off the course. Visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to unlock your discount. And there is a 30-day money-back guarantee. So there really is no reason to not give it a try. So go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock for $100 off. Hey, Lair, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Today, we're going to talk about some actionable daily practices that we can implement in order to have a thriving relationship. And you talk about in your book how we're not taught these tools and and we're not taught that relationships actually take work, that, that we're not supposed to just know how to do them and that they don't require active daily practices. So maybe let's start with having you tell our listeners why you think it's so important that we take this proactive approach, and then we'll talk about some actionable things that we can do. 
Well, one of the reasons I think it's important to make it a daily practice is, you know, I see so many couples that come in my door with a couple of, you know, their relationship wheels in the ditch, so to speak. And it's been my experience both personally and professionally that if, you know, we get proactive and we start um, looking at the culture of our relationship, if we start looking at perhaps uh, the, the trajectory of what we want to create, and we begin to look at our, our romantic relationships and, you know, perhaps maybe any relationship, uh, like something we want to be good at. You know, I like to say um, we should be good at loving our partners uh, so much so that we could list it on our resumes as a special skill, so to speak. Um, and I, I don't think that relationships necessarily fall into that category. It's, again, it's supposed to be just something we're supposed to know how to do kind of like you know, buying a car, getting insurance, uh, getting a mortgage. We graduate high school and college, probably not knowing how to do these things. And I think relationships certainly fall, in my experience, into that same bit. You mentioned relationship culture and and having a vision. Can you elaborate on that? Well, sure. Um, Look, if we're going to do anything together, if we're going to have a team, if we're going to have a company, if we're going to build something together, it's a good idea that we have some sort of shared destination. You know, if you and I got in the car together and decided to drive from New York to California, but we had separate ideas about how we're going to get there, unbeknownst to the other, we're going to have, you know, a difficult drive. Um, so, and it's often, it's often revelatory for couples to, 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 to uh, hear that and to say, oh, let's sit down and talk about like, what kind of relationship do we want to have? What, what kind of connection? What kind of, um, again, culture? And we don't often think of it like that. But when two people come together under the same roof and you're building a family, perhaps, maybe it's only of two, maybe you have children. Um, but deciding what that cultural fabric looks like or might look like, or it allows you the opportunity to build more intentionally. You have to stay fluid, of course, because life will provide what it provides. But um, having some sense of that, talking about it, knowing that, um, you know, we, we want to include certain things and we want to probably try to exclude other things. And I can get more into that if you like, but uh, that's the general sense of it for me when I talk about relational culture. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that. What are some prompts or some things to include or exclude? Well, that depends on depends on you and your partner. So let's imagine that, you know, you and your partner are deciding that you're going to make soup this is the example. One of the examples I give in the book, it's silly, but it, it's, it, it, it sort of highlights what I'm talking about. And so you're standing back to back with a pot sort of on the table between you. And you have your familial recipes because generally we bring some of our familial recipes of relationship to our new relationship, right? So we're going to throw in carrots and the other one's throwing in onions. And we're really not talking about that. Like, do you like carrots? Do you like onions? And I use that silly example in the book because it's like, oh, right, maybe I don't. Maybe I, maybe we should start talking about the things that are going to be the recipe of our relationship. And we'll talk about things like, you know, how do we argue? Um, you know, uh, is, is it okay to get angry? How do we talk about our feelings? Um, you know, we, we can start talking about building a more mindful and uh, attuned relationship where we start um, really, again, making our relationship a priority, not just something that we hope we get right or the secondary thing that we get to when we can. And then, you know, hopefully a date night or two will help us out. That's that, you know, if we're, if we're coming together under the same tent on this thing 
and we decide that our relationship is going to be uh, intentional, um, then we can decide what that fabric looks like. I, I remember when when uh, my wife and I were we were just together. Uh, we've been together maybe a couple of years. We were both bartenders in New York and um, didn't have any kids or anything like that. And we'd had a, a, a pretty raucous night the night before, and we had gotten into it with each other. And we said some things we didn't, we really didn't like having said the next day. And when we woke up in that, I always tell the story in that crummy New York apartment that I had, I turned to her and I said, wow, that got out of hand quickly. And she said, yeah, right. I didn't like that. And I said, well, I don't ever want to call you a name again, as long as we're together. And she said, okay. And so we kind of tongue and cheekily shook on it. I said, okay, I'm never, we're never going to call each other names ever in our relationship. She said, right. We won't do that. Well, I could tell you 18 years later, we've never called each other another name. Now, does that sound silly or, you know, maybe that's the benchmark of reverence in our relationship. There are certain things we do and there are certain things we don't do. There are certain ways we treat each other and there are certain ways we do not treat each other. And so that was a conscious decision, as silly as it may have sounded, to uh, discuss what was going to be a part of our relational, cult, relational culture and what was not. And I can tell you to this day, our kids laugh about the way we, you know, quote unquote, argue. It's not that we don't argue. We do. We argue skillfully. We argue intentionally. We argue compassionately often. And very often our arguments will fall down into laughter um, because we, uh, from that day on that, you know, in, in that terrible apartment in New York City, we have bled reverence for one another. Compassion, empathy, and understanding have been uh, the things that have been most important to us. I love that you use the word intentional uh, a few times because that's what these things take is they take intention. They don't just happen on their own. And that's such a key component to really anything that we talk about on this show, because you can get all the information you want. But if you don't bring some intention to the relationship with that information and then to go into what we're talking about today, like these daily practices, like that, that takes intention. It does. And that's why I called the book, you know, I was, as I was writing, I'm like, what am I going to call this thing? And slowly it sort of evolved and presented itself to me for a while. I called it, you know, five guideposts. And finally, it just sort of presented itself to me. These are practices and our relationships need to be, practice. If we want to do anything well, if we want to hit a good backhand in tennis, um, you know, if we want to learn a new language, we practice these things. And so and we practice them with intentionality to do them well or to do them better. And, you know, I just love that idea of putting, uh, putting our relationships in the crosshairs of intention. So let's talk about some of the daily practices that we can start to implement. What is a good place to start? So the place I start is one that kind of is a head scratcher for people because, you know, typically when we talk about relationships and what couples need to work on, you can Google it. You'll get the top five, 10, 15 things couples need to do. And they're very topical. They're very top of mind. And I, and I say, it's like, it's like if you have a cold and you wipe your nose, right? You're not actually treating what's, what's causing the symptomatic, you know, runny nose, and so people will tell me they have communication issues. We can't talk, you know, we're, we're having sexual issues. We can't connect. It's just not there. 
And so the practices I start with, one of the practices I start with is mindfulness. And I start with that because most of the time, couples are looking externally. They're looking at each other. They're pointing fingers. Well, I'll do better when you do better. What about you? What about you? And the brain is geared to do just that because the brain is geared for safety, right? And so we're constantly scanning the horizon. We're looking externally. We're not looking internally. And so mindfulness, the practice of paying attention, simply paying attention to our thoughts and feelings with purpose, that brings that external gaze inward. It changes the directional and gets us looking at what am I bringing to the table? What are my thoughts and feelings? Uh, What's my mood like? Right. And that's a very, very powerful place. It gets us out of our knee jerk reactions to one another, because as I begin to notice, I don't get to change my feelings because our feelings come as they do. The brain does what it does. What I do get to change is how I react to the feelings I'm having. And again, that's an incredibly powerful place to be. And not a lot of people think about it like that. And do you cultivate mindfulness through meditation practice? personally? Not necessarily. No. Uh-huh. You know, and it, most of the time when I say meditation, people kind of go, oh man, you know, I, I tried, med- I got the Headspace app. It's, you know, it kind of works. It doesn't really work. I don't really know what I'm doing. And so what I tell my people, and I say it in the book is mindfulness is not meditation. Meditation is not mindfulness. We meditate hopefully so that we get more residual mindfulness throughout our day, but we don't have to meditate in order to be mindful. In order to be mindful, we just need to start paying attention. We used to pay attention to what we're thinking and feeling. The toughest part about mindfulness is remembering to do it because of the brain's default mode network of, of going on autopilot. But so what I do is I, I do things very, very sim- simply, especially in the beginning. I have couples take three to five minute mindful breaks throughout their day, three to five times. Like set, a, set an alarm on your clock and just sit and notice what you're thinking and feeling to get them into the practice of it. And then I'll have them do like, the five senses drill where they notice, what am I thinking? What what am I, what am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I hearing? All right. What am I feeling? And they notice there's their five senses. So they start paying attention internally again. And then I have them do something like a mindful shower, a mindful walk to walk, walk with the dog where you're not thinking about that email. You're not thinking about the conversation that happened yesterday or that TV show or the food you ate. You're just noticing what's happening for you in that moment. And so this begins to regroove the brain in a way that starts paying attention more purposefully to your internal process. So we start with some mindfulness in the morning and throughout the day. What's another daily practice that can help us get on track to improving our relationship? Well, I also tell, talk to couples about parts and about compartmentalization of the brain. And again, this is not going to be in any Google search of how to fix my relationship, but how you show up matters. Um, Couples call me almost daily and say, we have communication issues. And I'll say, you don't. And they'll say, uh, yeah, Larry, we do. I've been there, been to the house, I've been to the conversation. And we can't talk about anything. I had a couple the other day tell me that we can only talk about the weather because anything else is just too incendiary. We can't talk. And I say to every couple, you don't have communication issues. You articulated the fact that you have communication issues to me just fine. You obviously have a command of the English language. What you have is a parts of self problem. Now, follow me on this one. We are not the single organisms we see staring back at us in the mirror, right? We are the many vestiges of ourselves, depending on the people, the places, and the things that we come in contact with. Now, when we feel a sense of being threatened or our feelings get hurt, 
or some old wounds get bumped into, what happens? A part of us comes up to protect us, right? An aspect of ourselves that's designed specifically to create distance, not create closeness, is there. And so you're having a conversation with your partner about some emotional topics, stuff that's maybe um, maybe some feelings have gotten hurt. Now, we're taught that we're supposed to make I statements. You know, what I think I heard you say and what I got from you is, well, in my experience, from the wrong part of self, those I statements, like what I think I heard you say is, what the heck did you just say to me very, very quickly? Because these aspects, especially the protective ones, are designed to only create distance. And so when we are in that part of ourselves, as, as Jung called it, these compartments of our brain, we only see the world and our partners through that lens. And so to try to communicate from that space of, of defense and protectiveness, well, it's, it's like trying to send an email from your Instagram account, right? Like Instagram, for those who understand Instagram, know that Instagram is an app that does not have an email function. Well, your defender parts, your wounded children that come up during these conversations, your inner critic, these aspects of you don't have that function of connection, um, kindness, compassion, empathy. And so the, the, what, we, what we need to do is mindfully ask ourselves, who's showing up? And in the book, I talk about how to shift parts like you would change clothes, right? Or like you change a tool. Um, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, you know, use a hammer to drive a screw. You use a screwdriver or a drill and you want to make sure you're picking the right part of self. And through some mindful practice, we can actually do that so that we can show up to our partners in these conversations, in the aspect of us that can actually create connection. They can actually create closeness, not distance. I know I threw a lot at you right there. Yeah, no, it's great. And I love how these first two tips have nothing to do with our partner in the sense of it's, it's all a self-practice. That's how I designed the, the book, right? Like it's not reliant on um, your partner. Most of the practices in the, in, at the end of each section don't require your partner's presence. Some do, but very few of them. Um, they're designed for you to work on yourself as an individual so that you could show up in your, the best version of yourself to, to your relationship. I know that for years they would tell us in, in therapy school, you know, like, this partner is not your client. This partner is not your client. The relationship is your client. And I was like, that's, that doesn't make any sense to me. These two people, individual people, they're my clients and they're showing up, you know, from their histories, from their families of origins as the individuals that, that they are. And we need to treat them as such so that they can show up in this relationship, in this Venn diagram, again, in that better version of themselves. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Have you heard of AG1? Well, I wanted to know what all the hype was about, and now it's become a staple for my day-to-day -day life, and I'm pretty sure it might become one for you too. It checks so many boxes for me. It's simple and takes no time, helps with energy, gut health, and your immune system. And it tastes pretty good. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's the one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. 
So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and apnogens to help start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. One of the reasons I incorporated it into my life is because it supports mental clarity and alertness. So it's one of the first things I do in the morning before going for a surf or taking my daughter to school. It's a great way to start the day knowing that I'm giving my body all the good things. It's also an all-in-one nutritional investment. It costs you less than $3 a day. So you're investing in your health and is cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash I do. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash I do to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. When you look at your hair, are you 100% happy with it? For years, I tried every product under the sun, hoping they would help me improve my hair health and help me reach my hair goals. I live at the beach and the sun and the salt do a number to my hair, always leaving it feeling dry and brittle. It always feels like an uphill battle trying to keep it soft and smooth. So you can imagine how excited I am to partner with Vegamore. And I cannot wait to try their products. From silky results to high quality ingredients, I've heard only amazing things. Vegamore is known for transforming hair. Their holistic approach to hair health uses smart botanicals that promote visibly thicker, fuller, longer looking hair. With help from Vegamore, you can get healthy, beautiful looking hair without the use of harmful chemicals. All their products are cruelty free and never contain parabens or hormones. Vegamore has something for everyone looking to improve their hair health. The Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Kit works together to create visibly thicker hair and improve hair from the roots. Just massage the shampoo into your scalp for 60 seconds, then follow up with conditioner. It's as simple as that. Just by looking at all the reviews, tons of people are calling their products a game changer for their hair. I cannot wait to try it. It's easy to incorporate into your routine and see the results pretty quickly. And you can feel good knowing the ingredients are not harmful for you or the environment. With Vegamore, there is no risk when trying because they have a 90-day money-back guarantee. But with 91% of customers saying they saw visibly thicker hair with Vegamore in just three months, you will not want to run out. Get the hair you've always wanted with Vegamore. Go to vegamore.com slash I do and use the code I do to save 20% off your first order. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash I do and use the code I do to save 20% off at vegamore.com slash I do. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. If you're like me, my morning coffee routine affects how I experience my entire day. The routine is both grounding and energizing and 
After I drink my coffee, I feel clearer and ready to take on my day. So let's take that analogy a little further. Have you ever thought about how we care for our minds affects how we experience not just our day, but our entire life? Well, it's true. Giving yourself the gift of therapy can positively affect how you experience life. It's important to invest time and care into keeping your mind healthy. Just like my coffee helps me feel clear about my day, therapy has always helped me feel clear and more prepared to take on whatever is going on in my life. I'm very lucky to have friends and family that are there for me, but sometimes you really need to share what's going on with someone that is a professional and not as involved in your life as your loved ones. I love how my sessions always help me put things in the right perspective. If you've been thinking about therapy, I definitely recommend it. BetterHelp is a great option when looking for a therapist. Their online therapy platform offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. It's nice because if you're busy, you can do it from anywhere with your phone or computer. Or if you're new to therapy and not very comfortable yet, you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's also much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist that fits your needs in under 48 hours. And good news for our listeners, it just got easier and more affordable. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash I do. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash I do. Betterhelp.com slash I do. One of the things you talk about in the book is helping couples develop a deeper understanding of the wounds that brought them together. Can you talk a little bit about that understanding and, and how we bring our wounds into relationships? Sure. So uh, Harville Hendricks said, um, he said that we are inexplicably drawn into the arms of a romantic partner who will, by their very nature, recapitulate our childhood wounds, but for a very good reason so that we might have a healing experience. And so, you know, we find ourselves drawn to people uh, for various reasons. And, you know, before too long, we notice that like certain things just start kind of coming up, started coming to the surface. Um, our partners, our romantic partners will bump into our old wounding. And, you know, so I was digging into emotionally focused therapy when I, and, and attachment theories and, the work of, of John Bowlby and Sue Johnson and all of these people. And that's great stuff. And Sue Johnson says she was the, she wrote, um, hold me tight. She's the founder of emotional focus therapy. The book hold me tight did really well. It's a great book. And she said in that book, she said, look, therapists and the clients that they treat only tend to go to the waterline on this iceberg that is their relationship and their wounding. And when you dig a little bit deeper, you know, and then people immediately, when I, when I start talking about this, they start saying, Oh, you know, you know, you're going to get to love languages sooner than later. And I'm like, well, sure. Our love languages are important, but where those, what those love languages are attached to, like what we need in our relationship is really, really important. And what we're fulfilling is really what's the mystery of it all. And so in my research and in my work with couples, what I found is we are asking for only four things. And if you can think of a fifth one, I'm happy to entertain it, but I have been searching forever and, Four. Come, we come to the table with four. Am I loved? Am I safe? Am I enough? And do I matter? And I don't care if we're talking about 
what we're having for dinner or, you know, why you didn't take the dog for a walk this morning. At some level, we're probably talking about whatever one or ones of those you're dragging forward from your wounding. And so the example, and she's okay with me using this, my example of my wife, for instance, uh, her mother was mentally ill and had borderline personality disorder. Her childhood was incredibly chaotic. It was unsafe. So there's a part of her that's always scanning the horizon line, making sure that the world is a safe enough place. The day I became aware of that was the day that I really won her heart. That was the day that I truly connected to why she was in this relationship in the first place, which is for me to know, for someone to know and to understand that there's a little girl inside of her that needs to know that the world is a safe place. Now, it's not my job to heal her, but it is my job to witness and validate her experience and to, and to, and to hopefully create a safe enough loving space for her to do that work and for her to have the mirror of a, of a loving presence that is actually safe for her. And I've got mine. You've got yours. Your wife's got hers. Uh, there's a little boy and a little girl inside of every person. Uh, that's been wounded. I don't care how great you think your childhood was. They're in there. Some are harder to ferret out than others, uh, but they're in there. And this is the thing. This is the split off piece, right? This is that the, the overly used therapeutic term, the wounded child. It's a split off piece of the psyche. It's, it goes back to parts and um, you know, it's, it's, it's what we're looking for in the world. We're looking to know, are, am I loved? Am I safe? Am I, am I enough? And do I matter? And it's really important for us to figure out which one of those or ones of those are ours. And to know our partners is to really know them. How can we ask ourselves these questions, dig into our past, and then share it with our partner to, to bring that connection all within the important point that you made of that it's not our jobs to heal our partners. We want to be supportive. So how do we navigate that whole situation so you know there's a couple of different ways parts certainly you know you start getting to know the inner landscape that you start doing an inventory of the parts of you that are present and you look at your childhood and you look at the wounding some of it's very apparent right like my wife's is an example it's very easy to see that that uh, that a child would of course not feel safe in that environment so that's an easy one you know some people have these pristine upbringings like i have this one guy in my practice who is a you know, world-renowned doctor and, you know, all kinds of crazy accolades and all of that. And it's, it's a, it was shocking to him to find out that his wounding is, I'm never enough. Because no matter how, that, this is part of the reason why he was so, it is so successful is because he's never enough. And he was never really enough in his family of origin. As much as they loved him, uh, love was often predicated on how well you did. And I think we want to know that we are intrinsically loved, not valued just for what it is that we can do. But most of the time, it's as simple as asking those questions. And I kid you not, man, like when I'm sitting with a client and I'll say, you know, look, I want to run, I want to run a couple of questions by you. And they'll say, okay. And I'll say, so I just want you to feel into them. I was like, don't think about them so much. Just feel them, feel into them as best you can. And I'll say, am I loved? Am I safe? Am I enough? Do I matter? And invariably, I mean, I have people who at the very mention of theirs go immediately to tears because it's such a basic, there's such basic questions. And when you hit upon a client's truth or when you hit upon your own truth, very often you will notice an emotionality that comes up. And so that's a way to do it. 
again, looking at your childhood, asking those questions like, did, was I safe? Did, did I ever feel like I was enough? Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Sonny. It's a, it's a lovely A minus, but what, why did you get the A? Never enough. Um, you know, if, if, if a parent uh, is, a, for instance, you know, can never put work down, can never put the phone down long enough to have a game of catch with you or have a talk or take you somewhere, it's like, I don't matter. Uh, we get that message. Kids get those messages from the way their parents, their families, their extended families later on, their communities treat them. And we get those core wounds. And so taking a look at your history, uh, asking yourself those questions, looking at your parts. Um, one of the ways that I do it is I say, okay, let's look at your love languages. And they'll say, okay, so uh, acts of service. All right. Well, when someone does that act of service, what does it make you feel? And they'll say, good. I mean, okay, beyond good. Well, it makes me feel like I really matter to them. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah, that's it. Or, you know, that when someone, when someone wraps their arms around me, it just makes me feel safe in the world. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Because that's better than just, well, that makes me feel good. If you understand my meaning. So there are a number of ways to get there. And I, I, I uh, outline a, a lot of them in the book. And then should we be sharing this with our partner to, you know, better relate? And then how do we create the space for them to heal without trying to heal them? So absolutely, we need to be talking about this. And it's often shocking to me when I, you know, couples don't make the time to sit down over coffee or take the time to kind of have these deeper discussions. And, you know, many don't. That's part of the reason why I have a job. Um, but when couples do take the time to discuss these things, it's like, oh, you find out like this is to know this aspect of my partner is to know them on a level that perhaps no one ever has. And Ellen DeGeneres said it's uh, it's 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 great to be loved. It's profound to feel understood. And so we can help our partners feel understood in this way. Um, again, in a way that perhaps they've never felt understood. And that's amazing. Now, creating the space, that's less is always more, right? Like, especially men, we try to fix. And I don't want to paint with too broad a gender stroke on anything, but by and large, we try to fix. I think women tend to be better at processing than we are. I think that's why they live longer than we do. Um, they tend to have a better emotional vocabulary, not always, but often. Um, and so for the men out there, I say, listen, just do less listening, active listening, like asking questions, but no fixing. You know, what was that like for you? Open-ended questions. How did it feel when, when that happened? What else happened? What was that like when that? And so getting, to, just asking those questions and giving the, your partner space and room to explore, uh, themselves with you witnessing them. That's a great way to do it. Uh, if, if a partner, you know, begins to, will want you to fix it, they, you know, and you do it, then we start having some codependent issues that, that we don't really want to uh, deal with. Um, what we really want to do is just give them time and space. And I can be, and I'll be honest with you, look, sometimes that giving that time and space will feel inconvenient. Sometimes it'll feel hard. And to that, I will say to people, sorry, that's what you signed up for, right? To love this person isn't just to, speak their love language. It's to stand in that place of listening to what it is they're going through. And, um, and, the, and the, the, these, when these things, when these particular things come to light, man, it's, it's fodder for amazing conversation. I love that 
quote of what love really is, is, is to be understood or a more powerful version of that. And it's so true. And this is how we better understand ourselves and better understand our partners and then connect on a deeper level. So it, it's why relationships are so beautiful. So before we wrap up, are there any daily practices that we can do with our partner that you recommend? Well, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, the thing that my wife and I do every day is uh, our kids are like, seriously, aren't you guys done talking? You've been together for 20 years. How do you still have things to say? Um, We spend time together every day talking about our hopes, our dreams, uh, what we're processing, what we're going through, what we want to create. And so that connective time leaves often space for that type of processing and for you to... Uh, help when you, you need when they need help, but also listen when they just need you to listen. Um, you know, one of the practices in the book that's the one that I don't put on the front of the website primarily because I don't think anyone would come is personal responsibility. And um, you know, being able to take responsibility for how mindful you are in your relationship and the part of you that's showing up. We didn't cover narrative, but the story we tell about our partners, particularly salient. And when we take responsibility for getting to know and understand our partner on this really basic level that I was talking about a minute ago, um, this is really the, the, the this is really the sweet stuff in, in the relationship. And when we when we own that, when we take that that responsibility, um, you know, that's when things get really not just good; they get great. And so when when I say responsibility, people often kind of shudder a little bit because responsibility is often coupled with blame or shame in our culture. And um, and that's also taking responsibility for, for all of the things you do and all the things you say. And so if your partner says, you know, oh, you hurt my feelings, it's not, no, I didn't. What are you talking about? That's no, you said, no, that's not what I said. That's, well, that's not how I said it. Rather than that, rather than triage, rather than that triaging that moment, saying, you know, I okay, I understand I hurt you. Tell me more. How did I hurt your feelings? What what could what did I do? What could I do different? Owning that, that's another piece of the personal responsibility practice that's so important. And, and so when I talk to people about this, they'll often say, Well, won't I become too permissive? And I say, No, it's not it's not about becoming permissive or Pollyannish. It's actually about taking the higher ground in your relationship. It's about taking that road less traveled. We know the road that's been traveled upon. It's the road of pointing fingers, of blame, of what about you? If he would only, if she would just. And what I can tell you is, is that's spinning your wheels. And again, it's, it's one of the reasons why I have a job. People refuse to take their personal responsibility. But when you can take personal responsibility. And I always say it's like the road less traveled. I'm referring to that frost poem where he said, you know, two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled by and it's made all the difference. And these practices make all the difference in my, not just my professional opinion, but in my personal opinion, having used these in my own life and in my own relationship. Before we wrap up, can you touch on the narratives that we tell ourselves about our partner? Yeah. So narrative work, it, it, it comes out of uh, the work of narrative and, and narrative therapy, David Epson and Michael White back in the 1980s, where they said, you know, we are all telling stories up in our heads. We tell stories all of the time. I took it a little bit further. They said, you know, we prune that narrative. We select information 
that supports our prevailing narrative and we deselect information that does not. And so what that says is we edit. And so we're up there in our heads and we're having these thoughts, right? And if we're not careful and we're in the wrong part of self, we can begin to tell stories about our partners that aren't always totally true, aren't very fair. They're not particularly compassionate. Sometimes it's because we're tired, sometimes because we have some resentment. And so the, the stupid example I give is, is that my partner, my sweetheart that works so hard that left the milk out again for the second time this week because they're so tired? Or is it the no account SOB that only is only thinking about themselves, right? To some degree, we this is a choose your own adventure. Now, you have to have a partner who is actually doing some things that would support a good narrative, right? You can't just say there are no weeds in my garden, there are no weeds in my garden, expect there to be no weeds in my garden. There, there, there are going to be weeds. But if you have a partner who is, and I see this all the time, they're actually a pretty good person. They're actually a pretty good partner. Yeah, they've got their warts and their dings. Uh, but if we buy into only the warts and we buy into only the dings, then that's all we're going to see, right? And it's not just the thoughts. Those thoughts become feelings, right? The body and the brain are having a biochemical conversation all of the time. And so if, you, if you're forming this neural net in your head, this dovetails on neuroplasticity and, and all that kind of stuff too, where I'm, I'm habitually thinking of, in this way about my partner. Again, some of it's true, some of it's not, some of it's fair, some of it's not. What I'm doing is I'm training myself to fall out of love through telling a not so great story about this person who might actually be pretty good. That is such an important thing to be aware of. And I can relate from, from personal experience. And it goes back to how we started with, with mindfulness and intentionality really is, is just becoming aware of the story we're, we're telling ourselves, becoming aware of all of these things. And, and it's a daily practice. It has to be. Because we have 60,000 thoughts every day. And if we're not aware of some of them, if we don't catch them, before you know it, you're proliferating this story about them. Some of it's not, a lot of it's not even true. And it lives in my book as a, the, the couple that I used. I purposely used a cautionary tale couple, a couple that had actually told stories about each other to the point where the atrophy was just too intense. Right. There was no there's no coming back from that, because like you said, we have, you know, all these thoughts, if you're, if you're unaware of them before long, it's like this is just who I believe you to be. Exactly. Well, Lair, we covered a lot of great things that I definitely enjoyed this. I know our listeners will as well. Very actionable things that that they can think about and implement in their relationships. So before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? If there's anything we skipped over or maybe something you want to emphasize and, and then we'll say goodbye. You know, they can find me at uh, Lair Torrent Holistic Therapist on Instagram. I'm there almost daily posting little pieces and, and anecdotes from the book and doing little reels to talk about different aspects of relationship. Um, and I, I am pretty active uh, getting back and forth with people. Uh, my book, The Practice of Love, Break Old Patterns, Rebuild Trust and Create a Connection That Lasts is on Amazon as well as Barnes & Noble, wherever books are found. I'm on Audible as well. Uh, LairTorrent.com is my my uh, my website address, and, and um, I have a new uh, podcast out with a friend of mine um, where we talk about everything couple related, and, uh, and, and we talk a lot about the book and the practices. It's called Not Your Mama's Therapy. I will 
tell you it's a little irreverent. Um, I believe that that this type of work definitely needs a dose of humor, and we we lend uh, at least our brand of humor to that. And so I'll leave that with a little bit of warning. That's called not not your mom's therapy. So uh, those are the those are the social handles I have. Thank you. I'll have to check that out. And yeah, I I agree on the humor aspect. That's important because yeah, it's it's heavy stuff. Yeah. You can take the deep dives, but you got to come up and take a breath at the surface every so often. Exactly. Well, we'll have those links in our show notes and on our website as well at idopodcast.com. And thanks again for taking the time to come on the show. And thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, And while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge... We really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark my relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners. If you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock, we've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day. listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com